0: How many know that you can go through the motions? How many know you can be in a relationship but not really be there? You can just pretend, be oblivious to the responsibilities and to the opportunities that those relationships present. You could presumably be in a relationship and not even know the person you're in a relationship with. Isn't that true? How many people wake up after years and years and say, I don't even know you. So, I really think that that the essence of those two questions are what we're going to be called to account for. Uh, and again, the question, do you know me, we, we, we stems from that parable of the virgins, where they had the, the five foolish, the five wise virgins preparing for the wedding, and the, and the foolish virgins didn't have the oil, and so forth. And when the... Bridegroom came, they were excluded. And when they pounded on the door, bridegroom said, I don't know you. The door was shut and was to stay shut. That second question, Did you do my will? stems from the parable of the talents. And we saw what Jesus said happened to that third servant who was faithless with that which was entrusted to him. Do you know me? Did you do my will? Two imperative questions. It's kind of a corollary to that. I'm going to ask you this question. What, what kind of people do you suppose that God desires? Well, if we go back to those two questions, he, he desires the people who, based on a a love relationship with Him, are ready and willing to please Him by doing His will in most things? Are you sure all things? Ready and willing. So the question is, am I really really ready and willing? And and, and is the the impetus for my willingness just a, a simple legalism, or is it based on a relationship that I have with them, a love relationship. I mean, when you're, when you're in, a, in a, that kind of relationship with somebody, just a, even on the temporal level, in our, in our own relationships, when you love somebody, it is not a grievous thing to do everything you can do that you know would please that person. Isn't that true? In fact, you want to. Well, I have to love you. No, I want to. And I want to do those things that, that please you, that bless your life. And so those, those principles clearly, I think, apply to our relationship with God. That's the kind of people God wants. If, if you're in a relationship with somebody, do you want to be in a relationship with somebody who, who really cares about you and loves you and wants to do things that, that bless your life? And vice versa? Yeah. Yeah. See, doing His will is just another way of saying obedience, isn't it? Just another way of saying obedience. In obedience is always relational. It's always relational based on a relationship. We're not just religious people. We're people who are in a relationship with God. That's what's key about Christianity. A relationship based on the truth of who God is... What God has done, what His will is. In other words, doing God's will only happens when there exists first an underlying relationship with Him. If I have no relationship with Him, I'm not going to know what He wants. I'm not going to know His voice. I'm not going to recognize His voice. I'm going to be clueless as to what He wants. Again, when we're in a relationship with somebody and it is a a close, intimate relationship, it matters to us, we want to know what that other person wants, don't we? So that we can respond. John chapter 10, Jesus speaking about the shepherd and his flock. In verse... Two, he says, or verse three, he says, the watchman opens the gate for him, meaning the shepherd, and notice this, and the sheep listen to his voice. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. Does that sound at all like an intimate relationship? I mean, when 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 someone calls you by name, they recognize you, they know your name. That, that, that means that relationship is a kind of a cut above the average run-of-the-mill relationships. He calls his own sheep. Again, it speaks of relationship. He leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Again... I can't, I think, underscore this enough. Our following Him, our obedience, is a result of relationship. And because I have a relationship, I know His voice. I know His voice. Now, to know His voice requires something. To be able to recognize His voice requires something. It requires that we develop something, a skill, an ability. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, Paul says that we are to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. How am I to develop this ability to hear His voice? Take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. When we dedicate ourselves to the Lord, that dedication includes our minds, doesn't it? He says, to love me with your whole heart, soul, strength, mind. Most of our problems begin with our thoughts, don't they? They begin with thoughts that we don't always bother to examine as to their origin or to their implication. I just thought. I just thought. Well, what did you do with that thought? Well, I acted on it. In in retrospect, I probably shouldn't have. We just assume that since some thought is present in our minds, it just simply must have originated with us. I had a thought. We give no mind, no no concern as to its origin, or even to necessarily its implication, how it works out. If you go back to the third chapter of the book of Genesis, chapter 3 of Genesis is a critical, critical chapter to know and understand. It chronicles what's known theologically as the fall of man. Man is created in this exalted high state and because of his decision, his choice, he falls from that. From a state of perfection to a state of imperfection. Chapter 3 of Genesis is the reason why there's evil in the world. Chapter 3 of Genesis is the reason why we have problems, why there's conflict, why we can't get along why we're weak, why we die, why there's disease, and so forth and so forth. That's all answered in chapter 3 of Genesis. So if we go back there, did the fall of man happen by force? Did the, did the serpent... Physically threaten and attack the woman, wind himself around her as a big python or boa constrictor, and wrestle her to the ground and squeeze her till she says, Uncle, Uncle, I give. Did the fall of man happen by force or by suggestion? By suggestion. It happened by suggestion. It was all by smooth words with untrue suggestions. Listen to the three comments posed. Did God really say? You will not surely die, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, the fall came as a result of a battle between the mind of man and an astute spiritual enemy. And we know who won, huh? We know who won. Adam and Eve did not take any of those proposed thoughts, any of those proposed suggestions, any of those proposed intimations from the serpent, didn't take any of those captive to the obedience of God. Had they done so, the enemy would have been exposed to the light and ultimately would have been found out. (gasps) Aha! Don't you wish they had done that? See, all Eve had to do was to tell the snake, put those ideas on hold for a second while I check with God. Since my husband is sleeping here, Dear, what do you think we should do? <laughs> duh, I don't know, duh. <laughs> Satan was attacking the very character of God. He was attacking the very character of God through suggestive thoughts, through suggestive words, which were untrue and ultimately corrupting. Beloved, mark this, note this. Sin begins... When we question either the Word of God or the goodness of God. When you call into question or you succumb to the temptation to call into question either the Word of God or the goodness of God, that's where sin begins. That's where that corruption, that's exactly what happens here. God's very character, He is good, His Word is true, was being attacked. And that's what happens all the time. Uh, I don't know. Can I really trust this? I, I, you know, my, my experience said, no, it's what the Word of God says. If you call these things into question, you're ripe. Eve, very simply, just trusted in her own judgment. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. We do that all the time, don't we? We lean on our own understanding all the time. We think we're so smart, so cool, so brilliant. We are not trusting in Him with all of our heart. We are always, often maybe, probably, our own worst enemies, when you think about it. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12 verse 2 tells us that the key, the key to a transformed life is a renewed mind. You don't like your life? You want to see a transformation? You don't like who you are? You don't like how you live yourself out? Any change is going to come because there's a change in your thinking. How do I think? How should I think? Thinking always leads to behavior. As a man thinks, so is he, Proverbs says. So the key to a transformed life is a renewed mind, new thinking. Every thought, every thought needs to be checked out as to its origin. How do you check it out? How do I check out these thoughts? What, what, where did this thought come from? What's, what's its origin? What's its implication? How do I check it out? I compare it with what I know from here. Well, it's easy for you, Pastor. You, you, you've been studying this for thirty years. You, you know that. I, uh, look at, I'm still in process here. Yeah, I have a much. Much richer uh, reservoir to draw on because I have been studying. But every Christian can do this. I'm encouraged, I constantly encourage believers, and and, and many of you have been the object of this. I said, look, buy a concordance. Do you know what a concordance is? If you have a a reasonably good Bible, you have a a concordance in the back. A concordance simply is an alphabetical listing of all the words in the Bible. Now, this is, in the back of your Bible, is not an exhaustive concordance, but we do have those in the bookstore. Buy an exhaustive concordance, it has every word in the Bible. And begin to do word studies. A word study simply is, you pick a word. Mind. And you look up that word, and and all all of the words in that word grouping, they have mind, mindful, mindless. And you just look up all those words; they're all right there in the Bible. All the verses are right there in the concordance, and you just write them out. You do your own word study, and you will learn so much, so that when it comes a time where you're thinking about your mind or some such subject, these verses are already there. You've read them. You say, "Well, I know that doesn't sound," but you know there's something. I'm going to go back to my word study. You get practiced at studying your Bible and learning these things yes it takes time it takes a commitment but you will be much better for it you want to renew your mind you've got to begin to know the word of god so you can take those thoughts that you think captive and bring them into obedience because you're comparing them with what you know from the truth does that make sense The more we practice this, the more it will become clear what the Lord wants regarding every issue of our life. There will be no more mystery. You won't be saying, "God, I just don't know what God wants. I'm not sure what to do here. I'm not sure what to do there. No, It will be absolutely clear. There will be no doubt in your mind about what God wants in your life. Does God love us? How much does He love us? Can we fathom his love? No, we can barely fathom each other's love, right? My wife tells me she loves me. She loves me so much. And, and that's wonderful. I like to hear that. That's, I'm, I'm, comfort, I'm encouraged by that. I love you. I, I love you so much. I don't have any idea how much that is. I cannot fathom it. Especially when I look at myself, I go... <laughs> If I can't fathom, how in the world can I fathom His love for me? It just blows me away. How, how much do you love me, God? Well, you love me so much you died die for me. Try to get your mind around that. He loves me so much that He loves to speak to me. Darling, do you love to speak to me? He wants to speak to me and he wants me to shut out all the distractions. When you speak to me, do you want me to shut out all the distractions? The USC game. That's the only time you're not allowed to speak to me. We shut out all the distractions, most of the distractions. That's why Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, when he he teaches the Our Father, and he says, this is how you should pray and such. In in chapter 6, verse 6, he says, says, when you go into your room, shut the door. When you pray, go into your room, shut the door. Why? Shut out all the distractions. Give me your undivided attention. And when you go into your room to pray, you always take your Bible with you. Always take your Bible with you. It's a wonderful time to, to let the Word of God Prompt you and lead you in your prayer life. And as you read, just, and and you can open it up to any place, I promise you. And just begin to read, and God will begin to speak to you. And He'll give you a basis upon which to pray, to talk with Him, to commune with Him. And it'll be so much more satisfying. The bottom line is the battle is for our mind. The battle is for our mind, and that'll lead to our heart and soul, and eventually to our spirit. If my mind is futile, if my thinking is futile, Paul says that my foolish heart will be darkened. In other words, personally, I will have no hope. But even more than that, it goes to my very spirit. My spirit will be deadened to God. I won't feel a connection with God. And this battle is serious with harmful and even deadly consequences. It's not a game. Not a game. We can become complacent. We can become very presumptuous in our faith. When, in fact, I, I, I believe that God means for us to be constantly on the cutting edge, living on the knife edge of faith moment by moment, trusting Him, bringing every thought captive. We're not playing ping pong. This is life and death stuff. Let me suggest to you an experiment. How many would like to do an experiment with me? Oh, ye of little faith. Let me try that again. How many would like to do an experiment with me? Uh, That's a little bit better. i got a big section of unbelievers over here. (laughs) What if we experimented with taking every thought captive by practicing the art of praying before we speak? What a novel idea. I think, if nothing else, we'll speak less than usual and... For many, that would not be a bad thing. <laughs> James says this, chapter one, verse nineteen: Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to, ooh, slow to speak. Don't be so quick to speak. I mean, I can hardly wait for you to get done talking, so I because I can talk. Have you ever done that? I mean, you're thinking someone's talking to you and you're not paying attention really to what they're saying. You're thinking of what you want to say. And you're so anxious to say it, you cut them off so you can say what you want to say. Proverbs ten nineteen: When words are many, sin is not absent. That's a scary one. You want to steer clear of people who talk a lot, talk too much, except me. When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. See, what you're going to learn, if you practice this, because I want to practice taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. If I just, in the initial stages, practice praying before I speak, I'm on the road. And if I begin to practice this, I begin to experience a whole new lifestyle of obeying God and learning to take captive every thought to obedience to Christ. And I'll also be learning that I don't have to say whatever just seems to pop into my mind. You'll be less apt to gratify the desires of the sinful nature, as Paul says in Galatians 5.16, and more apt to be living by the Spirit. Aren't we instructed to do that? But if I'm not taking my thoughts captive, if I'm not learning how to do that, if I'm not practicing that, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, I'm going to be giving vent to my flesh all the time, aren't I? I'm, I'm just going to... I'll think about, I'll talk about, but I will have no experience of what it means to learn to walk after the Spirit. If we would remain silent and simply ask God what to say, to whom to say it, or if I should say it, I think we will be amazed in our daily experience because we will begin to actually see what God wants us to do, rather than leaning on our own understanding, being impulsive, saying whatever pops into our mind, speaking too quickly. It's called obedience. It's called obedience. And that obedience will produce in us the life of power, the power of Christ in us. You begin to actually see the transformation that Paul speaks about in Romans 12:2. As a corollary to this, speaking of obedience, in Hebrews chapter five, verse eight, that verse speaks of Jesus having learned obedience. Now notice this, having learned obedience from the things he suffered. In other words, he learned the full meaning of the cost of obedience. What did it cost him to obey his father? His life. It cost him everything. He learned obedience. He learned the cost of it through the things he suffered. Have you noticed that suffering is a very skilled teacher? It takes some of us a little bit longer to suffer, to learn. But ultimately, that has its effect, doesn't it? I mean, you don't have to be real, real bright to know that you burn your hand once on the stove, I'm not going to do that again. (laughs) I just learned a lesson. Now there are some people who have to go back and burn it again. And again. And then finally they go, I'm not going to do that anymore. He learned obedience through what he suffered. How are we supposed to learn obedience, do you think? How are we supposed to learn it? Is our experience to be totally unlike that of Jesus? What do you think? No. No. In fact, Peter says this, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Peter explains that Christ left us his example of suffering so that we would follow in his footsteps. This is how we should go. Wait a minute, I thought the Christian life was to be fun. No, 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 no. It's a life where I learn to embrace suffering because it's through suffering I'm going to learn obedience. I'm going to learn how to bring every thought captive to Him. Suffering has that impetus. That's what it's designed to do in our life. Remember, there's no waste in God's economy. He uses even pain and grief and sorrow and suffering to grow us. Verse 24 of 1 Peter 2. It says that Christ bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. So that I might not do that, and I might do this. He, he, he bore my sins. He died on that cross to set me free from the power and the grip of sin so that I might now actually begin to obey Him. It is possible. But I need to learn how. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Spells out that since Christ suffered in his body, we are to arm ourselves with the same attitude because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. In other words, we we learn to put those things away. I'm not going there anymore. How many times, how many people do we know who've gotten sick and they know that they've not been eating right and they change their diet, they get reformed, they start eating right. They 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 do away with that. They put off the old way and they t- pick up the new way. The principle holds true to every area of our life. Did Jesus tell us that we would have trouble in the world? Did he promise that? Oh, yeah. John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, In the world you will have trouble. Oh, great. Now notice this. He says, but, what? Take heart. You're going to have trouble, but take heart. In other words, there's hope. Why should I take heart? In what do I have hope? He says, because I have, what? Overcome the world. How did he overcome the world? By his obedience. Now, follow, please, the logic. Can we overcome the world? What do you think? Yeah, how? How did he overcome it? By his obedience. How do we overcome it? By obedience. By learning to take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. The world does no longer have a hold on me. The fact that I say no to that, I realize that, that that is not the way to go. That's the way, there's a way that seems right, but its end is death. Gosh, that seemed, that's that seems so good, so enticing, so wonderful. How many parents have told their kids, don't go down that road? Don't go down that road. Don't go down that road. And we plead with them, we warn them. And so we, we see, we, we recognize that, and it's through obedience that we overcome the world. The world has an has hold on us. And does that make sense? In John chapter 17, verse 15, Jesus, in his prayer for the church, his prayer for you and I, listen to these words. Now, how many want to just fly away? All right, we, we, we hear about the rapture and, and being taken up and so forth. Notice his words. He says, I pray, Father, I pray for them, not that you, what? I don't want you to take them out of the world. Why? Because we're to be salt and light here. All the much more so as things get worse and worse and worse. Not that you take them out of the world, but that you, what? You protect them from the evil one. In other words, the evil one is not going is, is um, to, what's the word I want? Overcome. Succeed. Prevail. Thank you. The evil, one, the evil one's not going to prevail. Oh, well, we're going to be attacked. But he's not going to prevail. Why? Because our ultimate hope is in God's protection. Because uh, Jesus intercedes. Hebrews says he, he lives to intercede for us even today, this very moment. He's interceding and praying that you'll stay awake and hear these words. <laughs> Blood, we're going to suffer. And if we suffer, it is to teach us how to obey. Why am I going through this? Why am I suffering? He's using it to teach me to what? Obey so that we will live and not perish. Look at the next verse, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. It says that Jesus became the source of salvation. This is, this is terrific. He became the source of salvation to all those who obey Him. It just goes back to what we said last week. To all those who obey Him? If, if I he's, he's the source of my salvation. How do I know that? Because I'm obeying Him. Why am I obeying Him? Because I'm in a relationship with Him. Because I want to do this. It's the only thing that makes sense. I see. I understand. I've been burned enough. Would you say that one of the great goals of the Christian life, the Christian experience, is to be at rest With God, to be at peace with God, to know the peace of God. Yeah, if you read Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, you might want to note that Hebrews 3 and 4 and read those later, it's where the writer speaks about the Sabbath and the Sabbath rest. It, It points to us being at peace, at rest with God. Now, that rest is not just for the future life. That rest, that peace, can be experienced in the here and now. The kingdom of God is here. It's broken into time and space and history. You can substantially experience that peace and that rest with God now. But it will never occur unless and until we submit all of our thinking to God's influence. Again, Proverbs 3, 6. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Does that sound like peace? In all your ways acknowledge Him. That's just another way of saying, bring every thought, take every thought captive and bring it to the obedience of Christ. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, the, the same theme is over and over and over rehearsed through Scripture. Different words, but the same truth, the same principle. We'll achieve that rest, we'll achieve that peace, only through Jesus Christ as we walk in faith obediently to Him. He taught us in the, the Our Father, that prayer Matthew 6. He taught us that God is our Father and our Provider, didn't He? And as such, that we're to love Him and to worship Him. Hallowed be Your name. Hallowed be Your name. We're to please Him by doing His will in the very present moment. But if I don't know His will, how am I going to be able to do it? Your will be done. Today, now, as it's being done... Do you suppose God's will is being done absolutely perfectly this very instant in heaven? And God would want His will to be done here. Just like it's being done in heaven. Again, this only happens when we obey Him. And we won't obey Him unless we actively participate in this battle for our minds and put Him first. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. See, it it says the same thing again, different words. Jesus explained, we looked last week in John's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 21, 23, 24, that we prove our love for Him by obeying His teaching. That's how I prove. I love you, Jesus. Jesus says, how how do I know that you love me? Because I'm obeying you. I know your voice. I know what you want. I know how you made me. I know what you made me for. I'm following the track. I'm following the path. I'm doing that, those things that you already laid out for me to do. He also said that if we, if we love Him, the Father will love us and He and the Father would come and make their home with us. What a marvelous picture. So if one of our goals is to be at rest and at peace with God, that goal will never again be achieved until we surrender our thought life to Him. Our thought life. The battle is in the mind. Lord, I give my life to you. All right, Where does that start? It starts up here. I give my life to you, everything I am. That's a nice thing to say. It's a nice sentiment to make. But unless I understand that it begins by giving my thought life to Him, and how I do that is by learning to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Then they're just, if I don't learn that, they're just empty words. And my life is not going to be anything different from what it was. I may, I may be religious. I may think that, well, I'm coming to church, and, and, but in the back of my mind I think, is this all there is? It starts up here. We want the Father and the Son to make their abode with us. Yes. Then we'll know the peace of God that transcends all understanding. Beloved, our obedience is the measuring rod. Our obedience, note this please, this is so important, our obedience is the measuring rod of the quality of our relationship. It's always the relationship first. It's always the relationship first. Without the relationship, there is no real obedience. It's just nothing more than religious activity. Now the question is, what if I don't obey His commandments? What if I don't? Turn back to 1 John chapter 2. I want you to look at these verses with me. 1 John chapter 2. It's page 1247. Verses 3 and 4. We, we looked at this last week. I just want to rehearse it again. John writes, We know that we have come to know him. How do I know that I've come to know him? We know that we've come to know him if we obey his commandments now look at verse four the man who says i know him but does not do what he commands is a liar liar, and the truth is not in him in other words i could say all day long i love jesus i love jesus but if i don't do what i'm supposed to be doing that he's called me to do i'm simply a liar I'm just simply, the truth is not in me. I can profess all day long. I can object all day long. I can be just as earnest as with the best of them. But if I do not do what he's called me to do, I'm nothing more than a liar. I don't really have a relationship. I don't really love him. And if we don't know the Lord, will not our fate, will not our destiny be the same as the religious people that we read about in Matthew chapter 7 last week? Verses 21 through 23. Remember those guys? They said, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do this in your name and that in your name? And Jesus says, oh, gosh, yeah, yeah, I forgot all about that. That was great. Good stuff. Way to go. I'm glad you reminded me. Is that what he says? No. He says what? Away from me, you doers of evil. Actually, in the Greek, it's interesting. that The structure of the sentence there is... Starts with, never did I know you. Away from me, you doers of evil. The English transposes it in the translation. The emphasis in the Greek sentence is always in the first part of the sentence. Never did I know you. We, had, we never had a relationship. Those things you did were not my will. Never did I know you. Is that terrifying? Yeah. So if I don't know him... I really run the risk of falling into that category. In other words, if we don't obey God, He does not know us. May I suggest this? May I suggest that we need to quit our rationalizing? We need to quit our excuse-making. We need to quit our blaming of others, blame-pinning. Yeah, but you don't know my wife. If you 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 had my wife, you'd be like me too. You just don't understand. You don't know what it's like at home. You don't know my boss. You don't know what I... You don't know... Time. You don't know how I was raised. You don't know the abuse I went through. You're right, I don't. But God is able. God is able. Do you trust Him? I never had a father. I don't know how to relate to God as a father. Well, just start reading about Him. And say, God, help me. Help me to believe you. Help me to believe that you are a father. In the very best, fullest sense of that word. Do you suppose God might help you then that? We need to quit our whining. We need to quit our complaining. We need to quit our laziness. We need to quit our complacency. The church in in the West, in America, in this land, is complacent, self-satisfied, busy, occupied with things other than God's will, doing the minimum. Well, just as long as I don't curse or lust or commit adultery or steal something, okay, I'm, I'm doing fine. No, it's not just the, some of the things that we're not to do. It's what ought we be doing that we're doing, we're not doing. Am I making sense here? We give every reason. Well, you know, I'm just I'm just too busy. I can't do this. I can't do that. I've got you know, got my issues. Got my agenda. Got my. We just push God to the back. Yeah. We need to acknowledge the reality that God is not playing games and neither is Satan. This, is, beloved, is as serious as it gets. We are way too casual. We are way too cavalier about all these issues concerning God's will. And considering that our eternal destiny is at stake. The very, the very, the re, the very fact that I would say that, and, and, and many of us would say, well, I know I'm saved. My eternal destiny is not saved. I know I'm in. Good. I check myself out every day. Every day. Every day, I do not want to presume. I do not want to take for granted. I do not want to just assume because I say I believe thus and such. How do I check myself out? By learning to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The choice is ours. We're not going to be able to blame anybody on Judgment Day except ourselves. But Jesus, you don't understand. Let me explain. Let me explain why I didn't obey. Let me explain why I didn't do what you called me to do. Let me explain why I kept whining and complaining. Let me explain why I had a bitter attitude. Let me explain why I never forgave that person. Let me explain to you why. Let me explain why I protested. Let me explain why. No excuse. That day of judgment will either be one of tremendous celebration and victory, or one of great shock and dismay. Look at verses 5 and 6 of 1 John chapter 2. But if anyone obeys his word, now notice this, God's love is truly made complete in him. Do you see the connection? What, what, what does John connect there? Two things. What's he connect? Obedience with God's love being made what? Complete. Complete. God, I want to know your love more and more. He says, All right, then do what I tell you. Any child will will learn this. If If they want to know the love of their parent, they're going to learn to obey their parent. The more they obey their parent, that child's love, or that parent's love, is going to be made complete in that child's life. That's why we discipline our kids. That's why discipline has to be painful. Because they learn what? They learn obedience through pain. Not through having their tummies rubbed. Verse 6 Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Whoa. Now, what if I don't? What if I don't walk as Jesus did? Well, everything. Turn out okay anyway? Does grace mean that none of these things count or apply to us? Well, I'm under grace. You know that? I'm under grace. This really doesn't apply to me. It doesn't matter what I do or don't do. Beloved, grace does not nullify the law of sowing and reaping. It's just like grace does not nullify the law of gravity. It works every time. Jesus is coming. How many are excited? He's coming. How many looking forward to a second coming? He is coming. And he will have his way and only his way. His kingdom is not a democracy. Turn to your neighbor and tell him that. His kingdom is not a democracy. And we need, to, we need to learn to obey. And how do we do that? First, by listening. We learn to obey by listening. We learn to obey by consulting with Him before we make decisions. We learn to obey by checking with Him before we speak, before we decide, before we act, before we intervene, Or interfere. And before we make conclusions about issues or people, aren't we quick to judge? Oh man, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're all about. When you probably don't know a thing about that person. We intervene and very often interfere in people's lives when God is doing something. Why? Because we don't stop. We don't stop and say, God, what would you have me do? Maybe he would have you do nothing. Maybe he'd have you just stand back and and just wait and watch and observe. How many of us have learned by watching somebody else go through God's discipline not to go where they went? So these consultations, if you will, these consultations with God, would you say would be time well spent? I'm going to just spend a little time. I'm going to talk to you, God, about this thing. I'm going to just bring this to you right now. And if we consult with Him more regularly about all these kinds of thoughts and attitudes and such, I suspect that we will stop making our usual mistakes, be more careful about how and what thoughts We allow to influence us. We'll stop being so naive as to the wiles and the schemes of the enemy. Those schemes to deceive us, to discourage us, to defeat us. We'll stop blurting out emotional and often hurtful words. Just stop. Bring that thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we will notice that with practice, we'll become much more poised in our life. Wouldn't that wouldn't that be a wonderful description? When someone describes you, and they say, "You know that that person was poised. They had a poise. They had a certain calm about them. That'd be a compliment." Other people will begin to notice and they, when we speak that there's a, a depth and a meaning to our words. That's probably because they're not our words. <laughs> They'll be the words of God, the words of the Holy Spirit. And then the words we speak will begin to help the situation at hand and not exacerbate it. All because we started doing what the Bible says to do. We started learning how to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And then we begin to see the transformation of our lives. We begin to realize that just because there's a particular thought in our mind, it doesn't mean that we are the originator of that thought. Where'd that thought come from? Where'd that thought come from? It could be our thought. It could also come from the enemy. But it could also come from God. Whatever the source, our job would be to isolate it. Our job would be to take it captive, to submit it to the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ by asking Him if we should keep it, discard it, or examine it further. Lord, what should I do with this thought? Does it line up with your word? Well, I don't know. Well, let me look it up. Let me look up the, a key word in this thought. Let me, let me do a little word study on it real quick. Satan, hold that thought for a minute. <laughs> now, this might be overwhelming to some at first. But let me draw this analogy. How many of you remember going, going back, learning how to ride a two-wheeler by yourself? I mean, the thought of balancing on those two wheels seemed absolutely impossible. How am I going to do this? And I see all my friends can do it. I had... I I how do you say you do that? But with persistence and determination, you started riding that two-wheeler and you fell, scraped your knees, but you persisted. You got back up and you gained experience. You learned balance. You could stay on it longer. May I suggest to you that learning to take every thought captive to Christ... Is no different than learning how to ride your bike. It can be done. I gotta wanna do it badly enough. I gotta see that it's valuable, it's necessary to do. We're in essence to learn how to put the brakes, how to put on the brakes to the motion going on in our minds. So that we no longer react, but that we're proactive. And we circumspect in our thinking. We seize the initiative. It's kind of like hitting the pause button on your TiVo. I thought about using the VCR, but that's so passe now. <laughs> TiVo. Isn't that cool? TiVo. Oh, and I did know, you don't do this, you go, this. How many have a remote? How many guys have a remote? I drive my wife crazy with the remote. You see, that picture Picture in our mind freezes. I get a hold of it. I want to study it. I want to analyze it. I want to question it. I want to have a dialogue with God about that thought as to its origin, its meaning, its purpose, its effect. What's this thought? Where does it come from? What, what's this going to do if I act on this? It just comes with practice. It comes with practice. Well, what, do you, what do you suppose would have happened if Eve had have done that? Back in the beginning. <laughs> Saved us a lot of grief, huh? Beloved, we are to bring every thought into God's light. Every thought. And as we do so, our lives would never be the same. And the lives of the people around us are going to be affected. We will truly experience the radical change of salvation. It'd be miraculous, the effect in our lives. But not only. Will we change? God wants to change the world through us, doesn't He? He says, go to the ends of the earth. Tell people. Preach the gospel. Sow the seed. He wants to change the world through us, but He can't do that with an unwilling, disobedient, presumptuous church. He's seeking people with a humble heart who seek after Him with all they have. They don't just out of hand dismiss things. Nah, nah, nah. They say, you know what? Let me take that thought captive. Let me pray about that. Let me bring that thought to the obedience of Christ. Let me see what God wants about that. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. I'm going to trust in Him with all my heart. Beloved, it's time. Would you agree it's time to choose this day whom we will serve? We don't want to be like those five foolish virgins who at the last minute the door was shut to stay shut, there's no more chances. Today is the day. Let me read to you from a famous passage, the book of Joshua. Joshua has brought the people into the land. and He says, Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Can we say that, church? As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my household we will serve the Lord. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Amen. Father, thank You again. Thank You, Lord, for Your instruction. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for every good thing that You provide. Thank You that You love us. Thank You that You've called us into a relationship with You, a relationship characterized by willing obedience. As we prepare for Your table, Lord, search our hearts, show us those hurtful ways that we may be truthful, confess them, repent, and come to you, be healed, strengthened, blessed, obedient. Thank you, Lord. If you are visiting with us this morning, you are a Christian, we would love to have you participate in communion the servers will pass the trays down through the rows that's the protocol take a little piece of the matza and a cup of juice hold on to them we want to wait till everybody is served once everyone is served i'll come back we'll all take communion together use those intervening moments while we're serving everyone else to reflect on your own life your own relationship and your own obedience or lack thereof with god there's time for certainly confession and repentance and ask Him if you're not sure. Just say, God, search my heart. Bring those things back to my remembrance that I need to uh, turn over to you. I'll be back in a few moments we'll all take communion together. Paul tells us that this communion time is a time of remembrance. It's a memorial meal. We remember Jesus. And even in in our thinking, it's difficult to really understand all that he accomplished. He died on the cross. He gave his life. Those words seem so inadequate to describe everything he's accomplished, everything he did because he loved us. He's motivated by love. But all that he did was done in obedience to his Father. And remember, he left us his example to follow. And so when we contemplate Christ and his death on the cross, and we say, Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins, that I might have life. We have to take that thought a little bit further and the implications are, oh, oh yes, I, I, I need to deny myself too. I don't want to go to the cross. He didn't want to go to the cross. You remember three times he said, can we do this another way? Certainly the physical suffering was, was just terrifying to him, but I think more than that was the, the very thought of his father In effect, forsaking him, turning his head. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. The Bible says God cannot look on sin. Turned his face. That probably was the most horrible thing. You and I, for people who love us, or we want to love us, for them to turn their face from us. I mean, you can... I remember my dad. I'd much rather take a whipping growing up than for him to turn his face to be disappointed in me. That would be the worst thing. It was. And so as we remember him, we remember that he's gone before us and and that we're to hear his voice and we're to follow him. But in order to do that, we're to take also... As Jesus did, every thought captive. Be serious about our thoughts, our words, our actions, not just as religious works, but because the relationship comes first. And this is a time of commemoration, of committing ourselves. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Jesus. No more fooling around. No more compromise. I want to seek you out. Follow you. If that's where your heart is, if that's where you really say, okay, today, eat the bread. Jesus, we lift our cups to you and we do worship you. And we do really say, and mean, your will be done to Jesus. Amen. Turn to your neighbor. Give him a holy hug. Holy hug. Encourage them. Pronounce a blessing on your neighbor. Just pronounce a blessing. Let's stand together and sing God's praises before we go. Pass those cups to the aisles. The ushers are going to come pick them up for you. prayer this morning to be anointed with oil if you're sick, you need encouragement, a word of wisdom, our elders will be available by the prayer room to meet with you, to pray with you, take advantage of them, Uh, God has provided them to us for that purpose, Father I pray a blessing on our church, everyone Lord, that we would discern your will, that we would learn what it means truly to please you, that we would learn to take every thought captive. That we would see Your will being worked out in our life, fleshed out as we walk in Your ways. Bless Your church, O God. Grace Your church. Strengthen Your church, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. God bless you. I love you. Have a great week. Bye. Tell somebody about Jesus. (laughs)
1: you. <laughs> Them up and right away, you know, I mean, I'm be very confused. I don't think someone's not a musician telling me how to play bass. Remember
0: well, so. a phrase before
1: I speak? Well, you just—you know—I heard me and, and you know, you, you looks to me. If you have any comments. You basically have a lot of ideas until you, you know, work together. ground you, Lord, tonight, Lord. We thank you for your grace and your mercy to us in Jesus, that we have access to your throne through his blood that was shed on Calvary. Do you leave-